Lord, we pray especially today that moms who have sometimes a thankless job, a demanding job, Lord, uh, that they would sense also your encouragement and your strong support. And Lord, give them a hope, whether they're at the beginning or the end of mothering, just a hope that you reward them in their kids, but also straight from your hand in eternity for the service they render you and their children in Christ's name. Amen. We'll talk about moms today. I confess this is as much a testimony, frankly more testimony than it is a teaching. Uh, Andrew Jackson, who was a hero of, of the uh, War of 1812 and then became our seventh president, two-term president, was an orphan by the time he was 14. He had a, a difficult upbringing. He was a prisoner by the British for years, but even orphaned at 14, Andrew Jackson said this, related to his mother, there was never a woman like her. She was gentle as a dove and brave as a lioness. The memory of my mother and her teachings were, after all, the only capital I had to start life with. And on that capital, I have made my way. Lost his mother by the time he was 14, and yet when he looked back over the course of his life, he said it was the teaching of his mother in his youth and through a very difficult life, ups and downs certainly, that he attributed his success to the teaching, the instruction of his mom. And certainly Jackson is a great example or a great reminder that the impact of a mother on her children, and whether the children grow up to be presidents or not, the impact of a mother on her children is incalculable. Hard to estimate the impact you have when you affect even one life, a child who grows up in your household under your wing. Lennox Remond says this about mothers, uh, judicious mothers will always keep in mind that they are the first book read and the last put aside in every child's library. And what I'm going to do this morning is share briefly about the book that was my own mother's life, uh, Harriet Ridgway Halpin. And I had uh, trouble coming up with my teaching this morning, I confess, as I get started here. And I've told others, I have to have a kernel from which I teach. I have to have an insight in the scriptures. I have to have a, a pot from which I start. I am a totally uncreative individual. And if I don't feel like God's given me this little kernel, then I go nowhere. I, I can't fake it, frankly. And uh, I felt like he did. So that's what I'm sharing with you this morning. I'm one of several children. And if any of my siblings got up here, they might share entirely different things with you if they were thinking about Harriet Halpin. I've chosen three things, and frankly, these are three of the most memorable things I think of related to my mom's life personally, the life as I saw it, and then the areas in which her life and her example, unspoken, more than spoken, uh, impacted me and shaped my life. And those three things that I'm going to share with you related to my mom this morning are uh, my mom had a love for goodness and or beauty. She loved people, and she did a great job in demonstrating what could be called either gracious or humble living. And I'll go through those in this order. Uh, two things, too, before I do. As I share these things about my mom, I hope that if you're a mom, you find these encouraging in the sense that my mom could have looked at me. I don't know what she'd think today, but, you know, as a little guy wipes his nose, you don't have much hope for. But maybe 30 years later, you see, well, gosh, some things caught on. You know, they really, they work. They, 
those seeds planted and something came up later. Yeah, or if you're a mom whose mothering days are over, I think this is a great encouragement to realize that the investment you've made in kids, even if they're not with you anymore, even if they're grown and gone, your investment lives on. I mean, it is one of those investments that just keeps bearing interest over time. The investment, the quality of the investment is never over. It's never gone. And then if you're a child of a mother who's still practicing her mothering, or even if she's not, that this would encourage you to think about the way she's impacted you, shaped your life, and to thank her and thank God for that. So the first thing is to love goodness or beauty. I debated on which word to use here. I chose goodness. I included it because of Genesis 1. Uh, You know, in the uh, creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, God, in each aspect of creation, he does something. There was light. God saw the light, and he said it was good. And in each step of creation, God does something, and he looks at it, and he says, this is good. It has inherent worth. It's intrinsically lovely, beautiful, ordered, etc. And that's the sense in which I want to say, my mom loved goodness and beauty. And in her mothering, she passed that on to me and to my siblings as well, I trust. And let me just tell you a few of the ways in which she did. These may sound pretty mundane, but I'll tell you, they shaped my life. They, they have definitely affected who I am today and the way I view life and live it. Uh, my mom was an English major in college. She went to St. Mary's in Leavenworth. And she loved poetry and literature all her life. When I was in sixth grade, I had this assignment in school. I had to do with poetry. Well, I knew right where to go to get my book of poetry for my resource. I went to her secretary in the corner of the living room, and I pilfered her 101 famous poems. And I never gave it back to her. I've got it today. It's, it's bound with tape. I've got cardboard on the front and the back, you know, to hold it together. That book's been with me 35 years. It's been to the East Coast. It's been through the Rocky Mountains, the West Coast. I carried it with me everywhere I've gone. I'd read it before I went to bed at night. I've shared verses from that book with you on Sunday morning from teachings. Well, that came from my mom's secretary from sixth grade. She loved poetry, and she passed that love on to us. And one of the significant ways was... I just took her book, and I told her, I confessed to her years later, you know, I took that book from you. (laughs) You can have it. (laughs) Okay, well, I've got it anyway, you know. Mom loved poetry, and and I love poetry today, love literature, Uh, and along with this whole thing, it's learning. It's learning. Well, she loved it, and so she, she passed on that love of poetry to me as well. Another thing she loved was uh, music. Now, I confess, I never acquired all the tastes my mom had for Jeanette McDonald and Nelson Eddy, you know? Some of the records mom played were from her childhood. Does any, Nelson Eddy? Jeanette McDonald? Okay. We just couldn't quite, our tastes are very eclectic, and that just went outside even our bounds. But uh, besides the ones we didn't uh, keep for ourselves, uh, mom, they bought one of those old stereos. You know, they're not like today components. It was a big cabinet. You know, the speakers on the end, record player in the middle, and you store the records on the other end. And mom was forever putting on records. You know, Joe might be blasting out the Rolling Stones from his bedroom, but mom had on the Reader's Digest version of the best classical music. And so we grew up listening to Jeanette McDonald but also to the classical music, you know. And, and I learned as a kid to love music and not just 
Kiwi Top 40, but classical music because my mom loved it. She loved the beauty of this lovely music, and she'd play it for us all the time. She didn't make us sit down. In fact, I find this most interesting. You know, someone said the best testimony is the unspoken one. Almost everything I'm sharing with you this morning about my mom were not things that she sat me down and told. They were the things that she did. And they were the things she was passionate about, that she was involved with. And those are the things that have shaped me as much as what she said. But the unspoken certainly as much as the spoken. So music, we grew up listening to classical music. She didn't tell us you need to like this or this is good stuff, you know, enjoy it. Uh, We loved it because she loved it and she put it on for us to enjoy as well. Another thing along this line of loving what was good or what was inherently beautiful had to do with books and learning in general. Uh, My mom, uh, head of this little tribe, I remember lots of memories of going to the library. My mom would take all of us that weren't in school and she'd take us to the public library. I loved the donut-shaped seats. I don't know if any of you are old enough or from Topeka to remember these. In the kids' section, they had round donut-shaped seats. I loved reading my books in those donut-shaped seats and taking a stack full of books home with me. Well, that's what Mom was doing with us. You can imagine. She had a, bunch, she had a tribe, and she's doing this for us and with us, taking us to the library. We grew up going to the library because we knew this was a good place to hang out, and this was a great place to learn. And because of that, my kids grew up going to the same library, learning to love the same kinds of things because that's what I got from my mom and they got it from their mom and from their dad because of that. Her investment lived on. My mom would buy books and check them out from the library. She wouldn't say anything to us. She'd just leave them in the living room. So when I was growing up, you know, you're tired or you're bored and you see, gosh, here's this Reader's Digest version of the National Parks. So you'd sit down, you'd open a book and you'd look at pictures of the National Parks. I grew up as a kid wanting to see the Rocky Mountains. I had no taste for the East Coast, you know, settled, civilized, forget that. But give me the Rocky Mountains. Why? Because I'd grown up looking at pictures of the national parks and those books mom had left out. The same with National Geographic magazines. I mean, you name it. She didn't tell us we had to sit down and read these things. She got them and she left them in the house for us. I think that was pretty shrewd. And we'd pick them up. And and I loved, I grew up... loving books and learning and to to expand your world and approve those things that are excellent paul says in philippians because mom was doing this for us all the time this is a routine part of her life and again less what she said than what she did uh captain kangaroo this this uh i don't know how dumbed down this is one of the reasons we loved captain kangaroo and i watched it religiously in the mornings before i went to school was because they read books every morning on captain kangaroo uh, Mike Mulligan and the Steam Shovel, still one of my favorites, you know, it's great. Where Captain Kangaroo and Mom would turn it on for us, and it was no doubt a babysitter too, as she was cleaning up from breakfast. But we loved to love learning and books because this was the ideal she was setting out for us. Uh, mom loved too, she loved the beauty of nature. If you knew my mom, she was anything but an outdoorsman, uh, anything but an outdoorsman. She was more of the refined But what she would do is she would take drives in the country. She'd ask us, do you want to go for a drive? And so at the drop of a hat, we'd pile in the station wagon, and she'd drive us out of the city, no place to go, no destination, just driving on the country roads just to see the change of the seasons and the hills 
and the woods. And then in the fall, there was method to the madness because we would drive on these back roads until we would find bittersweet bushes. And she would find some of those, we'd drive until we did, and clip some of those bittersweet bushes to bring the beauty of those into the house in the fall season going into winter. And then those would be put in a vase or a pot of some sort for the winter months. But we grew up going with mom just because mom loved the beauty of the outdoors, the beauty of creation. She passed that on to us just because she took us with her. So mom loved beauty. She loved goodness. And more by what she said and what she approved and what she left around for us, we grew up loving the same things, that which was good, inherently good, and that which was intrinsically lovely or beautiful. The second thing my mom loved, again, this is my take on my mom, was people. My mom loved people. And the first way I think about it is this. My mom loved people so much that she brought 11 of them into the world. Loved people so much she had 11 of them. Now that's, that takes some doing. And my mom, uh, this was sacrificial on her part too. Um, parenting was difficult for my mom. And my sisters would, uh, they're one of their nicknames for my mom was she's a party girl. And that was not derogatory. That meant my mom loved socializing. My mom, when I say she loved people, I mean two things. She loved hanging out with people. She just loved being with others. But then also she loved doing well or doing right or doing good to others as well. But she just loved people. And having children was hard. Little people, love, you know, loving them as you do, having a bunch of little people is pretty hard. My mom was a party girl, and it was, it was demanding. It was, a, it was a task for her to raise these 11 little ones. In fact, bless her heart, I have so many memories of my mom on the brink of insanity as she was trying to get dinner ready, you know, while three kids are tearing each other's hair out, you know, and who knows what else is going on, the, the, the baby's diapers need changing, etc. You know, I laugh about it now, but she was not laughing at the time. But, you know, she loved people, and she loved 11 kids, and she did quite a job of it. She was committed to us. We knew it always. You know, even, even as being one of 11, we figured that was the only way to grow up. We felt sorry for families that had only a few kids or lived in a little house. You know, we grew up in a three-story house, and we thought this was the only way to go. But it was because of the investment of my parents. They didn't just have us. They loved us. And in our house, in fact, for my girls today, it's the same thing. You didn't go to bed at night without hugging and kissing and being hugged and kissed by mom and dad both every night before bed. It was a given. And my parents told you every day that they loved us. Eleven kids, this was the norm, that they loved us. They worked at loving the little people, the little monsters at times that they had brought into the world and lived under their roof. But mom loved people and she started with us. She was a party girl too, and I still have lots of memories. She loved to socialize with her friends. And one of the key memories I have of this is a bridge club for my mom was a religious affair, and that meant every two weeks or four weeks, it was her turn. Well, she'd clean the living room, she'd usher all of us out, they'd bring in the, the card chairs and tables, and then we were out of there for the night. And you'd hear these women, I mean, these are grown women, giggling and laughing in there for two or three hours, you know, during their bridge event. But mom, mom loved this. She just loved hanging out with her friends, just enjoying their company. Um, another thing about my mom, and 
she was loving to others. And some of the ways this was demonstrated to us was uncomfortable at times. Um, I think of uh, holidays. There were people, both at the church we grew up in and in our neighborhood, who were what we would call the unlovely variety of people, physically especially and socially, certainly. Uh, you know what my mom would do with those people at holidays? Of course, she would invite them to our house. So at our house on Thanksgiving or Christmas, you'd be entertained by hairless, teethless, cackling, laughter, and women. That was a part of the helping uh, holiday. It's because my mom was inviting these social misfits to her house for the holiday so that they wouldn't be by themselves. And these were folks without families, of course, and certainly without friends. But mom would invite them to our house. Well, you know, at first it's a little uncomfortable. Well, after a while, you, you start kind of enjoying it. And then you bring your friends home for those holidays so they can witness the toothless, cackling <laughs> laughter, you know, at your table that they don't have at their house, you know. And, but she would bring in the folks who didn't have someplace else to go on holidays. She brought in a relative, I remember one time, uh, not a very pleasant relative necessarily, was having a little bit of trouble, and we thought, eh, he's here for the weekend, great. And no, he's, the weekends and the weeks and the months roll by, and never a crossword, and mom just, you know, her house was his house, and stay as long as you need, you know, and that's just the way she was. Or I'm thinking, too, of my, uh, my own kids. Mom died several years ago, uh, but the girls, most of the girls are old enough to have memories. One of the things my mom did whenever we brought the grandkids over was she would tell them when they came in where the cookie jar was and where the candy jar was because she wanted them to be delighted when they came over to visit. So she would always offer them some sweet thing to eat. And so for my kids, that's kind of the key memory of Granny is the sweets, is a cookie or Granny offering them a, a candy or a cookie. Uh, one other thing, Mom, in fact, from my earliest memories, big family, big houses, uh, Mom would hire gals to help her with house cleaning about once every week or two. And because of my mom's outlook towards other people, these weren't just gals. They were always gals, of course, uh, older women mostly, who came over. Uh, they became uh, members of the extended family. And long after their cleaning chores were not being done anymore, mom was still paying them to come over to the house. And they became literally extended family members. And they were of little use functionally as far as the reason that they'd initially came. Mom would still pay him to come, and I still, I've got several great memories of these gals that, as kids, we grew to love. Um, I remember their names and their faces now and the impression they left on us, but we grew up just knowing you love other people because Mom demonstrated that, and she did it with the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was all the same. That was the testimony she left. You know, along that line, when Jesus is asked in the gospel, Lord, what's the great commandment? Well, it's love the Lord your God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. No one asked him about the second one. He volunteered it. And mom just left a sterling example of that. And by the way, though, I don't, uh, I'm not a member of the denomination I grew up in. My parents were both zealous towards God and towards God's things. And it affected all the decisions they made. And mom 
knew both parts of this commandment. The one I'm emphasizing this morning, I don't mean to, to uh, discount the other. But she loved God and she loved people. The last thing that I think of, and for me this may be the most telling or the most significant, is mom modeled living life uh, graciously, and by that I mean primarily humbly, uh, humbly, responding to life in a gracious manner, even when it was difficult to do so. Most of my thoughts along this line come from the end of my mom's life. You know, as you grow older, your ability to change your situation tends to diminish. And so the stuff of what you're made, in a sense, is often tried uh, towards the end of your life as much or perhaps more so as than in any other time. For mom, these trials towards the end of her life uh, started, or in my mind, not to put too fine a point on it, with my dad. Uh, dad was uh, a pack rat. That would be an understatement. And many of you are old enough here that your parents grew up during the Depression and during World War II. And this shaped a generation, certainly. So my dad, all his life, he didn't like to throw things away, you know. So that's okay. Well, as this three-story house is vacated of people, Dad fills it up with stuff. So Dad would have bags, and, and then Dad had bags in bags, and Dad had, Dad had piles of bags in bags. And Dad had dog food bags filled with dog food bags. You see where I'm going? This is a three-story house. You can, you can store up quite a bit. Well, this drove Mom crazy. I mean, Mom liked order, and, and here's Vincent, you know, and could you please get rid of that stuff? Well, you know, you might need it, and it was hard on her. But she couldn't do anything about it. Her health had declined towards the end of her life in such a degree that there really wasn't a lot she could do. And so she kind of had a decision. How do I respond to my husband? And how do I respond to this living situation that I don't like? Stuff. Uh, do I respond, do I get bitter and angry, or do I concede and be as gracious and humble and forgiving and gentle and meek as I can? And she had her moments, certainly, but she erred on the side of being meek and gentle towards Dad, to her credit. Another thing uh, about Mom was she had diabetes, and uh, diabetes is a terrible disease. She got in her adult years, and it affects you in just numerous ways. And one of the things it did for mom was, uh, as it does everyone eventually, it affects your nervous system and your blood flow. And so mom had a lot of problems related to her feet and her eyes and her, her extremities. And her feet got pretty bad, and she had to wear these really ugly brown shoes. Mom hated these shoes, you know? But it was another one of those situations where she swallowed hard, put the best face on it she could, and wore those ugly shoes that she otherwise hated. She was in the hospital repeatedly for infections related to her diabetes. And several of these occasions, we figured, you know, this is it. Mom's going to die. You know, the truth is, even in the hospital, and this is what I mean about towards the end of her life, I just feel like the uh, substance of her life like myrrh or incense was refined and she just gave off this pleasing aroma towards the end. Uh, Some of the best visits I had with my mom were in the hospital when she was very sick. In fact, the most meaningful discussion I ever had with my mom was 
standing in the hospital with her, and she says, Michael, is there anything you wanted to ask me that maybe you haven't? And I said, well, yeah, Mom, uh, where are you going when you die? We'd actually had this conversation before. But this was in the midst of her suffering and difficulty and definitely being under the weather, and we had the best conversations we ever had while she was under the weather in the hospital, not knowing if she would live or die. Towards the end of her life, mom was diagnosed. She had these symptoms that kept cropping up, and so she went through a series of tests and found out she had brain cancer, had a tumor. Well, she's got this really poor health anyway. She's got congestive heart failure. She's got diabetes. And, of course, the question you say is, well, gosh, do we do anything about this? And she opted not to, uh, wisely, I think. But she knew when she opted not to, she knew that, that death was imminent. Now, death had been a question before, had been a possibility with these other conditions. But in saying no to any treatment related to the brain cancer, to the tumor, she knew that she was, was giving up to die by this condition. And facing life knowing that your days are numbered, death is fairly imminent, your life is pretty much spent, how do you respond to that? And, and what do you do? You know, do you grab onto the days that are left and try and kind of wring out them, whatever you didn't get earlier? Or do you graciously accept the limited nature of your limited life and still continue to try to bless others, and that was the, the road, that was the decision mom made. What it meant for me uh, was a couple things. Um, every time you saw mom, now this was pretty much of a norm when we grew up, but every time you saw her, it seemed to me that she made a special point before you left to tell you that she loved you, every time. And I think it was because we lived for about a year or so where every time we saw mom, we thought this could be the last time we see her alive. And so she would always tell you that she loved you. And part of the process of this brain cancer was it affected her balance. She had to walk with a cane, and then it affected her speech. Well, this was humbling, too, because here's a grown woman, an English major, an articulate, intelligent woman, whose speech is being reduced to uh, childlike syllables at times. And so when she would try to speak with you at times, her speech was garbled. Well, you know, you could feel really bad about that and upset. The truth was, for anybody that knew her and loved her, this was all the more endearing because she was committed to telling you what was on her mind, and especially I love you, even through this childlike speech. Uh, it didn't stop her. It didn't slow her down at all. And now when you think back to those words at the end, you know, well, they're all the more dear because they were, in a sense, more costly, more difficult for her to get out. So her, her greatest testimony, probably for me, was this element of facing life humbly or responding to life's difficulties graciously. Uh, those were the last days, last months, last years of her life, and that's what I remember the most. So this living testimony from my mom, for me, the impact it's had on me, I think of someone who loved what was inherently good or lovely, someone who loved people, and someone who chose, difficult, difficult situations, but someone who chose to live life humbly and graciously. And, you know, related to that, James says, and 1 Peter 5 says, you know, 
If you'll humble yourself before the Lord, then the Lord will turn around and honor you. And mom was just a, a great living demonstration of that same thing. I want to close reading some well-known verses out of Proverbs 31. And I find it interesting that the book, the book of the Old Testament, written to give you wise instruction on how to live life successfully, ends on a note, a chapter, devoted to wives and mothers. I think that's telling. And I'm just going to read from Proverbs 31, verse 25 down. This says of this epitome of godly womanhood and virtue. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, he praises her saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. And this morning, in what is ostensibly a testimony to my mom on Mother's Day, I feel privileged that I can stand in the gate, so to speak, and bless her. But she, of course, has given me that privilege by the kind of life she's lived. And again, as an encouragement to moms, you have this great ability to impact these little folks, these little fellows and little gals that grow on. And sometimes the fruit of your investment isn't apparent. But that's true of just about everything important we do in life. What a great encouragement to continue the plodding, self-sacrificing labor of love that is a mother's task. And entrust that God will take those seeds, that investment, and bless it and multiply it over time. And Mother's Day is a great day, if your mom's alive, to tell her thanks for the things you did for me and for sacrificing. And what a great day, too, to just look back and think about the ways your mother has influenced your life and shaped your life, how God took the things, the impact of your mother, to shape your life. Now listen, nobody's mother is perfect. We all acknowledge this on Mother's Day or any other day. But think back and look back and see the ways God has used your mother to shape your life, to make you the person he wanted you to become. And if your mom isn't all she should be or wasn't all she should have been, you know what? Don't hold on to that kind of stuff. Say, Lord, I thank you for my mom in all the best ways that she represented you in my life. And I don't hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness. I leave that all with you. I want to bless my mom and be blessed by you in the doing. Let's pray. Lord, I know that your character is displayed in the way you've made mankind male and female. And that, Lord, in your delightful plan, women, wives, mothers, reflect these incredibly important aspects of your nature and character, nurturing, self-sacrificial love, a commitment, Lord, over the long haul. Father, we thank you that your loving kindness is displayed in this key role of mothers. And Father, at the same time, we want to pray that the mothers in our midst would take encouragement from you and see, Lord, that they're not called to produce something on their own, 
but merely to reflect your nature and your character in their roles towards their children. Lord, for moms who feel that they didn't get it right or it's, it didn't come out the way they wanted, I pray that you just help them give any disappointments they have to you and entrust their labor to you anyway and ask of you to make of it what you wanted, whatever the failures along the way. And Lord, as children, help us to remember to both praise our moms in the gates, to verbally build them up and encourage them, Lord, privately and publicly. And Lord, to pray for them and to uphold them before you, this demanding, life-sacrificing work that they're called to. Father, thanks for moms. Thanks that they represent you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.